Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Welcome to the Yale University Press Podcast. I'm Michael Hoke. What do you fear? What scares you? Halloween is just around the corner, and what better way to celebrate the spirit of Halloween than to delve into the darkest depths of the human psyche and explore our own fear? This is the realm of zombies, ghosts, vampires, and all sorts of natural and supernatural beings. It's also the realm of Leo Brody's new book, Haunted, and he joins me today. Leo, welcome to the program. Thank you, Michael. Great to be here. Right now, we're living in what seems to be a golden age for monsters, with vampires and zombies on both the small and big screen and all sorts of monsters in books. Where does our obsession with fear and monsters come from, and how has it evolved over the span of human history? Well, obviously, it, you know, it began way back when, I mean, when we were cavemen and, <laughs> and cavemen and cave women, and wondering about what those noises were in the dark outside and <laughs> imagining things uh, around the fire. The fire, uh, but it's I think our current obsession is really a, you know a couple hundred years old. It kind of dates back for me to the late 18th century, you know, which was a time of upheaval and revolution, and also a time when horror fiction got started. And what, uh, what was sort of the atmosphere when you say horror fiction got started? What was the atmosphere? You talk about these upheavals and things like that. Were there any specific uh, things that people were pulling from then, or was it more of a general sense of unease? Well, I think there was a kind of general almost, a malaise, a sense of unease there, uh, but it was exacerbated, of course, by the by the revolutions, the American Revolution, all these things that were going on at the time. And then also there was a force towards the future as well. I mean, the, the, the Enlightenment philosophers and scientists who were saying, now we can finally control nature, uh, you know, we can understand what's going on. That is, there's a break with traditional attitudes towards uh, understanding that's going on, like religiously inflected attitudes particularly, and a movement towards scientific ones. But people are starting to get worried, I think, about what's being left behind. And what's being left behind is this dark world of emotions. Yeah, and you mention in the book that, uh, for example, monsters like Mary Shelley's Creature and Frankenstein are a response to changing cultural, political, and scientific circumstances. Where does the concept of uh, Frankenstein's monster come from um, specifically, and how has that evolved? Well, the Frankenstein monster, to me, is one of the four prime monsters. Uh, I, for me, they are the monster from nature, the natural monster, like King Kong, like Godzilla, monsters like that. Mm-hmm. And Frankenstein is what we would call the created monster. That is the monster that has made on purpose by a human being for human ends that then turns against the creator. And so Frankenstein's monster you know, continues for centuries, really, and comes down into the robots of, of today. <laughs> yeah, and so you say that th- there are the four concepts here, uh, the, the man-made, the ones from nature. Um, going back to the idea of the ones from nature and King Kong, um, are those... Would you say those are maybe the earlier monsters, uh, considering that, at, you know, as you say, when we were cavemen, uh, we were afraid of things that go bump in the night. Uh, was that the earliest form, or did some of these come up together? I think they were probably the earliest, because they, they, you know, they're the most primitive kinds of monsters, and, they can, and obviously they have 
often have uh, look like animals or amalgamations of, of different kinds of animals, like the like the sphinx, for example. Uh, so that they are a kind of quintessence of, of the natural world and, and the kind of violence uh, of the natural world uh, as well. Now, again, in the 18th century, I, I would associate them also with kinds of natural phenomena that occur. I mean, in the middle of the 18th century, the Lisbon earthquake occurs, which right around Halloween, in fact, on, <laughs> on November 1st, right, the day after, on All Saints Day, which totally flattens Lisbon, uh, and Portugal was considered the most pious city in Europe, uh, the pious country in Europe, and Lisbon the most pious city. And here everybody was in church, and then all of a sudden this tsunami and this earthquake occur and just flattens everybody and kills t- between estimates vary between ten and a hundred thousand people. So what are you supposed to think about God and Satan and all these other kinds of religious figures when this could happen? When this could happen to the most mm-hmm. pious? So, I mean, it creates a sense of unease, a sense of malaise that to me is a kind of background for the rise of a gothic fiction. And do you see sort of an, uh, an uprising or a, a flurry of, you know, some of these stories coming out after an event like that? Well, there's always a little lag between this, but they mm-hmm. start really coming out uh, in, in the 1760s, the 1770s, and 80s then, and they reach a high tide, really, by the 1790s and the beginning of the, 18, uh, the 19th century when Frankenstein is written. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember hearing once a story about the writing of Frankenstein. It, it occurred during an, like an eruption of a volcano or something in which there was a long period of sort of strange weather. Is that correct? I've always wondered about that. Yes, that is correct. It, it happens in 1816, and there's an eruption of a volcano that kind of spreads a ash and all, uh, you know, pollutes the atmosphere all around the world. Uh, and it's usually called, was referred to then and now as the year without a summer. Correct. Because there was no sun, everything was raining. And at this time, uh, Mary Shelley and Percy Shelley and Byron and a couple other people are together in, uh, on the shores of Lake Geneva, and they're sitting around one night. They can't go out. It's raining heavily. Uh, and they say, well, let's tell some ghost stories to each other. Uh, and that's where the, the genesis of Frankenstein. Interesting. Um, you also talk about ghosts and how they are often portrayed as angry and unquiet. Um, and in many religions, the concept of an afterlife is a central theme. Uh, are these two ideas related in any way? How do they relate? I think they are related. Uh, you know, one of, the, one of the great functions of religion in general, all religions, is to try to understand uh, the path from life to death uh, and the dividing line between life and death. Uh, and to make us feel a little calmer, to give us a little more solace about that, to say that there's a heaven, for example, uh, in Christianity, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to say that we should lead a good life. I mean, to create sort of, sort of moral and ethical categories uh, that make us feel better about the fact that we almost die mm-hmm. in some way. And the ghost, then, is a figure uh, who has died uh, but has somehow unfinished business uh, and is often angry about that unfinished business. Now, that unfinished business might be the fact that the ghost has been murdered uh, and, and the body has not been found and has not been given proper burial. The proper rituals uh, have not been undertaken. Now, in, in medieval Christianity, uh, there was a place you know, where you were between 
heaven and hell, which was called purgatory. Mm -hmm. But in the 16th century, with the English Reformation, purgatory was theologically attacked. There was no purgatory. Protestantism had no place for purgatory. So without that intermediate state, uh, the the ghosts who had a problem, the ghosts who had not finished their business on earth, would come back then and were often very outraged and upset about Hmm. the fact that they had not had proper burial. And do you think any of the, you know, this sort of ghost stories, were these often or at all used as sort of anti-Reformation propaganda, or was it just, was it a natural product of people being afraid of these things? Well, I think it's not only that they're afraid. Look, people want to, one of the problems with the Reformation and with the attack on purgatory um, was that in in a lot of the uh, Protestant theology of the time and later, uh, that is, when you died, uh, your life was weighed in the balance, and you went directly either to heaven or hell. So the idea that you, there was some intermediate phase, whether that phase was purgatory or ghostliness, mm-hmm. was left out. But people wanted to have some relationship, obviously, emotional relationship to their loved ones who had passed on. Uh, and so, you know, there's a kind of backlash almost mm-hmm. Uh, against this, uh, and I mean, a lot of, you know, the more extreme people during the uh, English Reformation, they said, you know, you can't even bury people, you can't even put up any plaques, they melted down, they knocked over tombstones, they melted down plaques, they did all this stuff to say, don't think about it, it's already, it's over with, uh, hmm. you're just, you're, be- you're being a Catholic if you want to mourn the dead, <laughs> uh, but right. obviously, Catholic, Protestant, Jew, whoever, Muslim, whoever it is, you want to mourn the dead. You want to have that relationship. So ghosts come back there. You want to have that feeling. And it's it's interesting because it really is such a universal concept. I mean, in your in the book, you talk about even you know in in Asia these ghost stories. Japan um, has a lot of these sort of. Um, it's, they tend to be women, I think you said, uh, ghosts that come back, they were either murdered or something happened to them. Uh, it's interesting right. just how it's such a universal concept. It is. And, the, you know, uh, in a lot of religions, uh, unlike uh, Judeo-Christianity, I mean, there are, um, in a lot of, say, in Asian religions, you know, there are sp- specific times of year uh, when the ghosts of the dead come back and they're welcomed by the family and it becomes a kind of you know, a kind of ritual solace mm-hmm. uh, for the family about the loved ones who have passed on. Uh, and I think to a certain extent, a lot of the horror stories, let's say, uh, in, the, in the West, uh, are there because we don't have exactly that, those kinds of rituals in the same way. Yeah, that's true. There's no way to sort of quiet these unhappy spirits uh, in our rituals. Yeah, the only thing that I can think of is, say, um, uh, just offhand, is something like, say, in Judaism, when, when you light a, a light for uh, a year after the person has passed and the, on the anniversary of, of the passing, and so that little light can, reconnects you with the person who has passed on. You know, and there, I think there's small rituals like that uh, in Christianity as well there, but uh, they're not as widespread, let's say, as they are often in Asian religions. And do you have a, a favorite ghost story that you've come across as you've done this research? Well, there are various kinds of ghost stories too. I, I like the I like the ones that are reversals too. When it turns out that the, you know something like the sixth sense, let's say, when you don't really know it's a ghost, uh-huh. uh huh, or you know some. I think the movies have done you know some very interesting things uh, about this too. With the 
the situation in which they're you're the um, you're afraid of a ghost. Uh, you tell you tell your friends you're a ghost, and then when this when you finally meet the ghost, there's a big reversal. <laughs> like you're the ghost, <laughs> right? And they're the real pe- they're the alive people. <laughs> right, right. Those yeah. are my favorites. Those are the a good twist on a maybe an older type of story. Exactly. Um, and you know, speaking of scary movies, I I don't know. This is totally anecdotal, but I feel as though you see a lot of them, more than I remember seeing even maybe, you know, 20 years ago. Um, they're always in the theater, and they're not just coming out, in ho- you know, around this time of year. They're coming out all the time. Um, why do why do so many of us like being scared? What, what draws us to this powerful and typically viewed as negative emotion? Well, I think a lot of people don't like it, and I, you know, when I've been teaching some of these things some of these movies and some of these books, I always ask the class how many people, you know, like horror movies and how many people don't. And it usually splits almost 50-50. <laughs> people will not go to horror movies right, right. at all, although they're interested in taking a class that, that uses horror movies perhaps to kind of armor themselves <laughs> against, <laughs> right. against those fears. Uh, but I think, the, you know, over the years, you know, various people have said something similar along these lines, which is we love to be at once fearful and safe. right. So, you know, there's a kind of, you need to experience, it's like risk itself. You know, you want to experience the risk, uh, but you want to be safe. You want to be able to escape from it as well. So you can kind of, again, kind of create a kind of armor for yourself. Uh, I think ultimately about the fear of death. Mm-hmm. I find it interesting, too, that, you know, you're watching a movie or you're reading a book and you know that it's it's fake, um, but the human mm-hmm. mind allows you to still tap into those very, uh, almost primeval sort of emotional centers, and you you still get scared. I mean, I, I, there are people who are adults who are still afraid of the dark, knowing full well that nothing's probably going to jump out of the closet and get you. I think so, and it's just, I mean, those things, one of the things, let's say, that uh, that horror movies, particularly horror fiction, does, I mean, the whole effort to evoke terror and, and dread in the reader or the viewer uh, is to is to tap into something very very primitive, mm-hmm. uh, and we you know we have these feelings inside, and they get shaped into emotions often by what we're seeing, what we're looking at, the context uh, in which they appear there. So uh, I mean, this is in part um, you know the, the function of popular culture. I mean, it's not just horror; yet it makes us happy as well. You know, comic movies, um, uh, romantic movies. Let's say they're all tapping into some basic emotions and giving them an aesthetic shape that mm-hmm. we can experience. Yeah, I, I think I remember reading once in an, in an intro uh, by Stephen King that he still <laughs> he still makes sure his feet are under the covers at night. And this is a guy who sort of deals in horror all the time. And maybe that's why he's so attuned to it, because uh, maybe he is kind of scared by these things and can, and can write what scares us. Um, so yeah, well, it's. Uh, I mean, in order to be Stephen King, I think you have to have that pipeline <laughs> with those feelings, <laughs> right? Right. You have to be in touch. Uh, with and them. you know, it. And this is a, the idea of shaping them, the shaping them into a story, the creation of characters that experiencing them. That's again, a, it's a kind of distancing. It's a kind of shaping of those emotions which otherwise might overtake us, and uh, you know, to our detriment. <laughs> So we've talked about the the uh, the ghosts or the the natural uh, monsters and the monsters from within. What's the next category then? 
Uh, well, after that is the, uh, again, in the kind of moving forward of the 19th century there, uh, I would say it's the monster from, from within, the Jekyll and Hyde monster, mm-hmm. the psychological monster. The idea that the monster is not in nature, is not some stalking beast in nature, or is not some Frankenstein creature that we've created, but something that's inside of us already just waiting to be let out. And the fourth kind uh, is the monster from the past, uh, and the, you know the prime version of that is Dracula. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dracula comes out of a pagan, pre-Christian world. Uh, he's connected to kind of you know Celtic uh, myths and to warrior uh, to warriors, uh, even though uh, in fact the uh, the person, the historical person on whom Dracula is based, Vlad the, the Impaler, mm-hmm. was a, a Christian fighting the Muslims, the Ottomans. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> but still, he gets re remade into Dracula, who is this pagan figure from the past. So all these, you know, the past has been left behind, again, by the movement of progress, by the movement towards the future. Uh, it's so popular culture and in general and horror in particular this way nurtures these feelings of, of loss, uh, mm-hmm. in fact, that have, that have occurred, you know, as we move towards the modern. And and, spe- and you know, speaking of Dracula and vampires in general, um, I mean, how could we not talk about vampires and zombies? Uh, sure, they're everywhere, right? I mean, nowadays oh, yeah. they're on TV. There, there's numerous books and movies with vampires and and zombies as sort of the main um, the main characters. Uh, why do these two creatures in particular seem to hold such a special place in pop culture? Well, I think, you know, I, I would actually include uh, Frankenstein in that also, mm-hmm. but Frankenstein has metamorphosed into androids and robots and Franken-food and, <laughs> uh, you know, genetic modifications of all sorts. There. Mm-hmm. It's not, he's not the shambling creature uh, that we remember from, you know, from the movies. Right. So, I mean, there's, there's a kind of uh, descendants of Frankenstein, let's say, that are also fairly prevalent around because... Fr- you know, the idea of creating something that turns against you becomes a metaphor for a lot of things that people are afraid of in science uh, to begin with. But you're right, uh, you know, as far as characters go, uh, vampires have become are sort of the, the most long-lasting in sense uh, in their original form of those monsters. Uh, and zombies, of course, have come, upon, come out recently as a somewhat new form, although I think they're sort of an amalgamation of some of the characteristics of the prior monsters. Mm-hmm. But, you know, to me, basically, there are you know, kind of two histories of these monsters. One is an internal history that's sort of aesthetic, you know, as different writers and different filmmakers try to vary the form in one way or another. And the other is an external history in which these figures uh, respond in some way to a political, social, economic, cultural context outside the film. That is... The, to the extent, let's say, that, that vampires uh, are still current or, or that zombies have become so pervasive, it's because of things outside. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's because of fears that the audience has of other things. And I think most explicitly, perhaps, with zombies, it's, uh, and w- zombies are interesting because they're not like a lot of the traditional monsters because they are a group rather than individuals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's it's a fear of a group, and certainly there are a lot of groups around <laughs> to be feared <laughs> right. these days. I mean, whether you're fearing uh, illegal immigrants or Islamic fundamentalists, or you know, if you're a Democrat feeling Republican, fearing mm. Republicans or a Republican feeling Democrats, you see them as this inexorable group that's out to swallow you up, which is very much uh, you know the myth of the zombie. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and also I think it's it's interesting as you watch the zombies. Uh, you know, for, I, I can think of the, you know the night, the classic Night of the Living Dead, and then as they've sort of evolved from these slow sort of uh, you know creatures into much more quick, uh, they move faster and they're not as maybe dumb as they once were. But it's also interesting that the way the zombies are made now tend to it seems they fall along the lines of the government did something or a virus did something and caused this outbreak. Yeah, exactly. Something all pervasive, some uh, either dictated by a government, well, often a virus that a government <laughs> right, released true. inadvertently, uh, let's say, <laughs> um, and, you know, kind of all of a sudden everybody has changed there. So, I mean, again, these kind of, it's the fear of these uh, unspecific, ca- you know, monstrous causes out there which are out to get us there. Uh, and it's very unlike, let's say, you know, Dracula himself or the Frankenstein monster or King Kong or those kinds of monsters uh, that are, you know, very individual, very specific, uh, very much themselves there. This is a group, and as you say, let's say in something like World War Z, you know, they've gotten very speedy. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, they're not just shambling around. We can't just run around and, you know, and kill them in an easy way because they're going to engulf us. Right. I wonder if that says a lot about sort of where we are as a society in that, you know, maybe we're, we're a little bit more technologically equipped to deal with something that's trudging along slowly. And now in order to have any threat, it has to be this fast moving uh, thing. Oh, I think so. And it's, you know, it's, and it's a fear as well, you know, not, not only of, of these, these groups, but it's a, it may even be a fear of technology. So may, it's a fear of things that are out of control, that we are somehow out of control. And I mean, I, th- I think ultimately you could say uh, it's because this world is becoming so much more populated, mm-hmm. uh, and we individually are becoming so much more anonymous in this world, and, and fear of, you know, kind of losing our identity in the group. Mm-hmm. And funny enough, it seems that uh, vampires have maybe gone the opposite way in some cases uh, with things like Twilight, where you go from this monster almost to the, you know, the, the romantic sort of aspect of vampires, which has always existed, I think, to some extent. Oh, yeah. But now that seems to be the focus. They're these attractive, uh, almost, you know, people that you want to be. Well, I think that you know, there's always an erotic side to the to the vampire mm-hmm. uh, from Dracula onward, and that, and certainly in the Twilight series, they they exploit that entirely, and it becomes for, and it's basically a personal story. Uh, but even there, you know, they they gesture, uh, you know, in the later works, to, in the later books, later films, there to this worldwide vampire conspiracy <laughs> that's that's going on <laughs> as well. So there's this sense of this alternate hierarchy of the world, uh, you know, a, you know, this the power behind the scenes, the kind of Da Vinci Code, uh, paranoid uh, view of things, uh, that somehow somebody else is controlling things. I don't, you know, and a lot of these fears have been picked up certainly in in the presidential campaign by <laughs> Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I mean, it's not just uh, you know, it's not just monster movies. It's also uh, an intersection with politics as well. So, having done a lot of research and, and reading and watching, I'm sure, uh, what, what scares you? Does anything still scare you, or have you seen it all? Well, I'm, I'm often scared. I mean, the way the movie techniques, uh, you know, techniques of apprehension, 
you know, I frequently tell when I've been taught a class in, in these films and books, uh, I've told my students, when you're watching a movie, if you're getting scared, the best way to deal with it is to put your fingers in your ears. Because in a certain way, it's the invisible. It's the mm. music mm -hmm. that is really playing on your emotions more than the images are. Yeah, I can't imagine watching, say, a horror movie without any music and, and feeling as uh, this foreboding sense that you get with the building of, you know, the, the and then nothing happens. Usually it builds and builds and then nothing and then the scare. Yeah. <laughs> They're like leading right. I mean, you down. You have a couple false scares uh, up front <laughs> that, that turn out to be nothing before you get the real scare. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to say one of my favorite horror movies, I think, one that scared me the most, and you mentioned in the book, is um, a Japanese movie called Juon, uh, The Grudge. Um, oh, I yeah. I believe it was remade. And I, I don't know if it's because it's there was my first because the Japanese ghost is sort of this a lot of the hair in the face and the the sort of jerky movements which are becoming more popular I think now in the horror movies, but I remember uh, being scared for a couple of weeks after watching that one. Well, also and and in the, in the Grudge and Juan, uh, it's you know it's very domestic. That's another interesting aspect of of how horror has changed over the years too. Uh, that, in fact, horror used to be exotic, you know, mm. Dracula comes from Transylvania, <laughs> things like that. Right. But horror has moved closer to home. It's, you know, it's around the corner or it's in your own house yeah. there. Yeah. So there sure. it's, you know, it's connected, the, uh, the grudge is, you know, kind of connects to the haunted house theme as well. So the, the sense that there is no safe place, let's <laughs> say, <laughs> right. you know, becomes really overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a very good point. I mean, right, like King Kong comes from the jungle of some very faraway island and, and Dracula comes from not only the past but from Transylvania and this sort of otherness. Um, yeah. So any, uh, any last-minute Halloween costume recommendations for someone who wants to be <laughs> scary and literary? <laughs> well, it's, it's, there are so many. I was just down at the drugstore the other day and I had three aisles filled with costumes and things. <laughs> So everybody has their own choice. They even have the one from Scream, which is a whole, that series of films, uh, which is interesting because in Scream you can know all the history of horror and know all the techniques of horror <laughs> and you still get killed. That's right. right. It's playing on the sort of the meta uh, horror movie. Right. Well, Leo, thank you so much for, uh, for joining us today. Oh, it's been my pleasure, Michael. The book is Haunted on Ghosts, Witches, Vampires, Zombies, and Other Monsters of the Natural and Supernatural Worlds, and it's available now wherever books are sold. That does it for this episode of the Yale University Press Podcast. Thank you for listening, and please visit us online at www.yalebooks.com to keep up with this podcast, as well as the latest from our blog and our authors. Talk to you next time.